For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapters 5, 1 through 6. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by the water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to Trin. Thanks, Trin. Nice job. Hey, everybody. My name is Steve, and uh, it is so good to see you here. It's good to be here. Uh, man, these, these passages in 1 John have been like the most dense, brutal things to prepare for. Uh, but I kind of love that. I kind of love that we get to walk together in it. And especially the last two weeks, I feel like we've really walked through it together. We've talked about it together. I've asked you questions. You've answered questions. You've asked questions. Uh, and I feel the better for it. Because uh, I'm on this journey, right, of discovering who Jesus is. And uh, so I guess I would call myself a seeker. And uh, maybe you would too. And so if you're with me uh, and others on that journey, welcome. The water's fine until it's not. And then it gets a little scary. And then we just keep going, right? All right. uh, Let's dive right in because there's so much here. And my son has a soccer game at two. So you got to be done by then. To believe that, I know, and I'm not going to get my nap in, Heidi. That's, I'm, I'm vexed about this. I'm vexed. Sports in America is ruining our lives. Um, <laughs> some of you are like, I know, I know. You're crying right now. I'm crying in church because of sports. Uh, okay, to believe that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to do our first all-play question. All plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the voice of the solo. What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Yes! That he will help others when they need help. I don't know that we need a lot of other answers other than that one. Thank you. Gosh, that's good. Tell me your name again. Megan. Uh, Care to add to, to Megan's brilliance? I dare you. Meg will be preaching next week. (laughs) Wanna? Okay. Uh, Okay. So I 
worked at a, at a Christian camp, believe it or not, when I was 21 years old. And what would happen is I was a camp counselor, so I, sat, I you know, stayed in the, in the cabin with, the, with 10 or so guys uh, that were anywhere from third grade all the way up through high school. And our training was that every single Sunday night, so the campers arrived Sunday, and then we you know, played games, ate some food, and then right before bedtime, we all you know, gathered around. And the question was this, that I had to ask everybody. In fact, I had them fill out little sheets of paper, pass out the sheets, pass out pens. And on the sheet of, of paper, no doubt, or no lie, was this question. If you were to die tonight and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you answer? <laughs> What's the correct answer to that? <laughs> Tractor beam. <laughs> you guys are of one mind. Uh, yeah, I asked hundreds of kids that question, uh, and they filled it out, you know, and then we would take their answers. You know, I, I would get their answers, and then, okay. And if they answered like, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, that's why. Then I would, you know, just might as well tear that up, throw it away. They're going to be fine. Uh, but if, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I was 21. Uh, if they answered anything like, uh, because I'm nice to my brother or because my parents and I go to church three times a week, or, you know, then it's like, oh, big star. You know, we're going to have a big conversation with that person. Uh, because really, it's not about any of those things. It's about, it's about saying that Jesus Christ is Lord and accepting him into your heart. And so we did that. Um, so to believe in this verse, 1 John 5, the word is pisteo, Greek word. Pisteo means to entrust or to place one's confidence in, to entrust, to place one's confidence in. So according to the theology of the sheet of paper, uh, what was I asking these third graders morbidly? Uh, what was I asking them to place their trust in Jesus to do? Thank you, Joe. I was asking them, third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, to place their trust in Jesus to go to heaven when they die. That's a really, like, it's a, it's a compelling, it's a, like to a third grader, it's a compelling question. It's also a terrifying question. And the motivation is? Fear. Fear. Now, what happens when someone makes a decision about anything when the motivation is fear? Say, say it like, who's it? Oh, Claire. Always a bad decision. By the way, Claire's preaching on June 3rd. So, Claire, uh, we had one of those moments, Megan, like, and then it was like, well, do you want to preach on June 3rd? And she said yes. So, um, I totally forgot where we were. Claire, what'd you say? Fear. What? It's always a bad decision when you make a decision motivated by fear, even if it sounds like a good decision. When it's motivated by fear, 
it's actually an unsound decision, right? You know what I mean by unsound? It means it's not built on something that will last. It's built on sand. So when the first question comes up, then you go, well, wait a minute. How, like, I, I, I trusted Christ to go to heaven when I die. And it's not a bad thing. Let's just, can we get honest about that? Like, that is not a bad thing in and of itself to want to go to heaven when you die. Not a bad thing. We're going to say, yes, amen. But in the Bible, um, we have, there, there, that is not the motivation for the followers of Jesus to follow Jesus or to call him son of God. So, um, so I'm going to tell a story about a person who placed his trust in Jesus uh, to change a country. That person's name, Mahatma Gandhi. Now, Mohandas was his real name. Mahatma, his name, uh, that, that, that means the great-souled one, to have a great soul. So, like Mahatma Haynes. Mahatma Patton. Get into it. Uh, <clears throat> he was a lawyer, trained in London, and then he moved to South Africa where he worked as a lawyer, but for the first time he was treated as a person of an inferior race because of the color of his skin in South Africa. This is apartheid South, South, South Africa. So he fought for civil rights for many years. He was imprisoned many times, and he came to read the Bible quite a lot, especially the Gospels. This is what he had to say about Jesus. This is quotes from Gandhi, who was a Hindu, P.S. Jesus, a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Jesus, Gandhi said, expressed as no other could. Jesus expressed as no other could the spirit and will of God. It is in this sense that I see him and recognize him as the son of God. And because the life of Jesus has the significance and the transcendence to which I have alluded, I believe that he belongs not solely to Christianity, but to the entire world, to all races and people. Apparently he had a picture of Christ in his room with the caption, he is our peace, hanging in his room. So when he became older um, and he fought for the independence of India, as you know, and when, when India was granted its independence, uh, it was split into India and Pakistan. And when that happens, uh, the people that live right along the, you know, the border gets, you have to name the border somewhere. So there are some people that are called Pakistanis that have to move, other people that are now called Indians that they have to move, and so families are displaced Thousands of families displaced, and it, it was this violent uprising rose up in Calcutta especially, but all over India and Pakistan. So Gandhi, uh, as an older man, went to Calcutta and proclaimed that he would do a fast unto death until people stopped the violence. Now, police officers were trying to stop the violence. They couldn't stop the violence. Uh, at that time, a Hindu asked Gandhi, what should I do? My only son was killed by a Muslim. Gandhi said, forgive. Adopt a Muslim child as your own. His parents may have been killed by Hindus. And um, after a couple weeks, um, the violence ended. And 
Hindus and Muslims came and confessed their sins in front of Gandhi and said we were wrong. Um, they said we are brothers. 1 John 5, 5 says this, Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What does it mean to conquer the world? It's an all-play question. Yes, thank you, Dan. To bring the kingdom. Not be moved by it, by the world. Thanks, Greg. To live above it. Thank you. To bring us together. What? To be peacemakers. Thanks, Jenny. What's the world? It's also an all-play question. Your sphere of influence. Thank you. Yes. Others. What's the world? Okay. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So any, I believe anytime Jesus talks about the world, he's talking about that kind of system. He's not talking about those evil Muslims or those evil Christians or those evil Jews. He's talking about the system of power that oppresses people because they aren't on the right side, because they don't believe the right thing. Uh, and so to conquer the world means to overturn that kind of system. And the question is, what can overcome or overturn or conquer a system that keeps oppressing people? Love, which is what John writes about in 1 John over and over and over and over and over again. Now, some of you are thinking, Love is a non-satisfying answer. That is not a satisfying answer. Did love stop the Holocaust? Did love? You know, right? I mean, we have to name that question because it's in the room. Some of you are like, now all of a sudden this just sounds silly. So what is love? Thank you. Remind me of your name again. Yes, Meg, thank you. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Why do we know Meg is right? Yes, because Jesus said it. Jesus, this guy who inspired a non-Christian like Mahatma Gandhi to end violence in India, Pakistan. And the reason why I bring up Gandhi is because of the feeling that you feel. Like, am I okay with him using a non-Christian as an example of a follower of Jesus. Am I okay with that? That feels wrong to me. I know it shouldn't feel wrong maybe, but it does. Some of you are like, it doesn't feel wrong at all. Some of you are like, I, I don't, I, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable. But the reason why I did it is because it is so hard for us to climb out of believing that Jesus is, is the Son of God is the question that I pose to my campers. It's just so hard to climb out of that. So we have to see it from the perspective of someone who we consider to be other, that's actually trusting in the way of Jesus, not just entering a club. Does that make sense? That's challenging, but there we have it. 
So there's a very real difference between someone who says Jesus is the Son of God so they can go to heaven when they die, and someone who acts upon the deeply held conviction that the way of Jesus is the only way that enemies will be reconciled in this very real life. Amen? There's a very real difference. I'm not saying one is in and one is out. It transcends in and out. I'm saying if we're talking about becoming ordinary apprentices of Jesus, then we're talking about actually making our ways of thinking and acting and being to slowly come in alignment with the ways that Jesus thought and acted and was. And if, you, like, and if that's a big amen, then you didn't hear me. That should be a holy mama response um, that will confront some of the ways that the system that we just defined, Joe just defined, that we are beneficiaries of, many of us in this room, not everyone, many of us, and we unknowingly support it. Now, does that mean you should quit your job tomorrow? No, please don't quit your job tomorrow. What would it be like if Jesus had your job? That, that's, that's what it poses you to ask. Like just your, Jesus is gonna have your job now and he's gonna hold your job and re- receive paychecks and that whole deal, okay? Teacher, CEO, pastor, lawyer, Jesus has your job now. How does he do your job? Uh, One of the commentaries I read, as I remove my distance glasses so I can read the paper in front of me (laughs) in my scrawly script, the death and resurrection of Jesus are not, for the writer of 1 John, simply ways of addressing the problem of human sin. It is, but it's not only that. Instead, the death and resurrection of Jesus demonstrate that the world, the system, is bankrupt and its judgments are overturned by the God whose love alone is capable of overcoming the world, conquering the world. That you can say amen to. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. False, says Sean. I don't know that I agree with John in this one. His commands are not burdensome. Gosh, they kind of feel burdensome when they, you know, when I actually try them. Uh, In the gospel text this week in the lectionary, Jesus says this, John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. So, <clears throat> all play. What's missing from Jesus' commandment that we love one another? What's missing? That there's a burden. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, so there is a burden there, you're saying, Salvador. I love it. You're carrying something. Yeah. What else is missing from, and it's kind of fun to ask what is missing from Jesus' words, right? But, yeah? Yes. Thanks, Greg. You guys ever notice Greg is like two steps ahead of everybody else? (laughs) I mean, don't feel bad, but 
well, there's a lot missing from here. What about if someone is doing something that you disagree with or that you think is wrong? How do you love them? So this is 10 years ago. I'm sitting in my office as a pastor. Someone asked to meet with me, and she said, one of my best friends came out as gay a couple years ago, and now she's getting married, and she invited me to attend her wedding. And I was like, cool. What, like, what, how can I help? And she said, well, I don't know if I can go. I said, oh, yeah, tell, tell me more about that. She goes, well, I, I don't think it's right. I said, okay, tell me more about that. Well, I mean, the Bible's clear about that. Okay, tell me more about that. <clears throat> she goes, I don't know how to be there for her without also telling her that I'm condoning her action. So I said, man, you're really thinking it through, um, and I really applaud you. What would it look like, I asked her, to love her, but just take off the condoning her actions part? Just like, has she asked you to condone her actions? No? Okay. Now, you may choose that you can't go to the wedding, and that would be an okay decision. But I want to give you the option that you could go to the wedding and still disagree with her, but not have to tell her and just show up and love her. I mean, that, that is also an option that you could do. And she was like, now, I didn't tell her what to do. I didn't say what she was thinking was wrong because it wasn't wrong. It was her experience. But she was wrestling it through, right? I just helped her think, is there another option here that I'm not thinking of on how I could love her? I think sometimes laying down your life for your friends means laying down your need to be right, laying down your need to tell them that, you know, you're right. Now, sometimes you do need to confront someone. The Bible's full of places where people were confronted. So we're not taking that away, are we? But it's not always your turn to confront, is it? Sometimes it is. Thank you, Karen. I'll take that in. And I'll also say, so that's how to do it. Like, oh, tell me more about that. Oh, tell me more about that. People discover what they need to know almost all the time when you keep asking that question. You know that that's true? You don't even have to be smart. Just <laughs> tell me more about that. So the next time I'm having lunch with one of you and you say, tell me more about that. I'll know, okay. <laughs> now, Jesus, when, when you lay down your life for someone, because that sounds codependent, doesn't it? Sounds really codependent. No matter what, lay down your life for someone else's needs. But it's interesting, in John 10, 18, Jesus says, hey, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So when it comes to laying down your life for someone, you don't do it because you should, because you feel like you have to, because they're forcing you to, because the Bible tells you to. You do it out of a volitional choice that you would like to follow Jesus, and you can lay your life down, and you can pick it up again, and that's a strength that you have. 
You don't have to do it, but you can choose to do it. Does that make sense? And it's not always time to like forgive today. And, or You have to discern that. You have to figure that out. It's very complicated. All right, last verse. Uh, verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, for the Spirit is truth. What does water and blood mean in this context? Greg? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> he probably knows, though. What, what does water and blood mean in this context? Baptism and death, Deva says. Yes. Anyone else? Ooh. Jen, your family, your blood, and who's outside? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes and yes. Anyone else? Say more. Travi? Yep. Yep. All right, Travi, 10,000 tour points. You guys were all right. Travis was a little more right. Um, <laughs> in the first century, everyone was trying to figure out the nature of Jesus. Was he human? Was he divine? Was he human? Was he divine? Was he both? Was he neither? Was he what? Is this or that or this or that? And so when John says he's water, Travis is totally right. That is God, spirit, um, eternal. But he's also blood. And that's human, flesh. And if we're going to understand Jesus as the conqueror of the system, he can't just be the divine one who looked human. Because otherwise, none of us could follow his lead. Jesus was the container in which the divine and the human met and forever would be um, in an embrace of partnership in bringing the kingdom that Dan talked about to the world on the earth as it is in heaven. So we have to understand. And this is the, like, for the first five centuries, the church fought about this one. Is Jesus, God only appears to be human? Is he really human, only appears to be God? Is he both? Is it some mix? And good theology says that Jesus was fully God and fully human, from the water and from the blood. And that enables us, gang, to take the Eucharist and for it to mean something more than just remembering what Christ did. It allows us to take the Eucharist and believe that in some sacred, sacramental, mysterious way, the Christ that conquers the system is now entering us. And not just us, but us. And not just us, but every person that's taking the Eucharist all around the world right now is united into one container in which, what? The divine and the human partners together to bring the kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. Now, to be Apprentices of Jesus means to be on that journey. We can disagree on a whole lot of other things. Important things, good things, things we really care about. 
That thing is the center. That's what will come to blows over, so to speak. Everything else? We'll talk about. Hi, Ivor. You're so great. Okay, we're going to take 60 seconds of silence, after which time Becky is going to lead us through the prayers of confession and then the Eucharist. So come Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Thank you.